Thank you for listening to the Reformation Bible Church podcast. We hope you are edified and encouraged by our ministry as you listen to our discipleship sermon series. For more sermons and resources, please visit the RBC website at www.rbcbakershield.com. Thank you once again, and may the Lord bless you. Father, thank you for this night. We come before you in the name of Christ, and we bow before your word tonight. Lord, speak to us in your word. Give us clear examples and understanding of what it truly means to be a disciple of Christ. Lord, be, before we begin this process of learning how to disciple, let us first determine by your word and through your word whether or not we ourselves are disciples of Christ. And Lord, help us to, if we are not, repent, trust in you and take up our cross to follow you. Lord, I decrease that you may increase. I become less that you can become more. I pray that you would move me out of the way. Be glorified in all that we do tonight. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so we began this series of the gospel and evangelism in September or October. And we began this series by explaining the gospel. If you remember, we learned of the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, the righteousness of Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, and that we must place our faith in Christ for our salvation, repent, place our faith in Christ for our salvation, that following Christ will cost us our lives, but the reward that we will find in Christ is worth any cost that we will encounter. We then move to the command that Christ gave to evangelize, <clears throat> to gospel, right? We learned what evangelism is, what evangelism is not, how to evangelize and, and who should evangelize. No doubt many of you have, have become equipped, challenged and encouraged to share your faith. To share your faith in the context of contact evangelism, evangelism to your family, evangelism to friends and co-workers. And many of you are, are seeing the fruit of your obedience to obey that command to evangelize. Amen. <clears throat> God has use you to share his life-changing truths to the people who are closest to you. And I pray that you have been seeing fruit from the gospel. But one thing that we must realize is this, that as nerve-wracking as it may have been for you to, to muster up the, the faith in the Holy Spirit to share the gospel, that was only the beginning. As nerve-wracking as it was for you to, to just make that first initial step to share the gospel, and as successful as you felt after you did it, that was just the beginning. Just sharing the gospel is just the beginning. When Christ calls his disciples unto himself, he does not merely say, hey, go share the gospel. But rather he says, go and make disciples. Amen. The work of making disciples is actually the more difficult task. Sharing the gospel is often easy. It's making disciples that's really the more difficult task. But there are many questions concerning discipleship. Tonight, we are going to begin a five-part series, and then you won't see me on, uh, for a while on Wednesdays, by simply asking the question, what is a disciple? That's the, 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 the title for tonight. What is a disciple? Before we can help others to follow Jesus Christ, we must first make sure that we are following Jesus Christ. 
before we can be used to disciple, we must first make sure that we are disciples of Christ. So we're going to ask four questions tonight and seek to answer them biblically. Number one, what is a disciple? If you're taking notes, what is a disciple? Here's the answer. It's simple, but yet it's deeper than what I'm about to give you. A disciple is a follower. A disciple is a follower. This could be following one's teachings or following one's example from afar by watching someone. Does that make sense? So it could be following one's teachings or following one's example from afar. Being a disciple of Christ, though, does not just mean that you are only or merely following in the steps of Jesus Christ or following his teachings. Listen, in the way that you would follow the example or teachings of someone like Gandhi. Does that make sense? So following Christ is not the same as as following Gandhi, the teachings of Gandhi, the example of Gandhi. So you are following that person, but that alone is not enough to explain the uniqueness of following Christ. So discipleship is following, but to say following is not enough to really explain the uniqueness that comes with following Christ. Does that make sense? Okay, here's what, what we mean by that. When you're a disciple of Christ, you actually come into a relationship with Christ. Amen. There are many people who follow the example of Gandhi, or they follow the example of Martin Luther King, or they follow the example of Krishna. But here's one distinctive to those relationships, or to that following. They will never have a relationship with those people. And listen, even if they did have a relationship with Gandhi, or MLK, or Krishna, those relationships with those individuals will never save them. Does that make sense? So even though they may, fo- may be following these different peoples or calling themselves disciples of these different people, following those people will never save them. Amen. Paul sees his following Christ as something deeper than merely following Christ. Listen now. Romans chapter 6 verse 3 says this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Listen. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the father, we, too, might walk in newness of life. What is Paul talking about? He goes on to tell you in verse six, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Paul calls discipleship more than merely following Christ. Here's what it is. It is being united to Christ. Where? How? In his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. You who are disciples of Christ are not just followers of Christ. You are united to Christ in life so that his life is your life. In death so that his death is your death. And in resurrection so that his resurrection will soon be your resurrection. Amen. That is the result of being united to Christ or being a disciple of Christ. They see that they have. Paul sees that he has because of repentance, faith, grace, lost their old life and been united to Christ anew in his life. Does that make sense? 
And it is for those people, those disciples, those kind of followers that Christ gives this kind of command. Now notice, it's a command, not a suggestion. And it's found in Matthew 6.24 and Mark 8.34, where we are this, this uh, evening. Mark 8.34. 8.34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Brothers and sisters, God is holy. God is creator. God is our judge. He created humanity to worship him, to love him, to obey him. Even though everything was provided for God's creation, the leader of his creation, Adam, our federal head or our representative, he disobeyed God. He fell short of the glory of God, therefore plunging or thus plunging himself and all of humanity thereafter into sin and depravity. As a result, we as a result of our sin, we experience spiritual death and eternal punishment through the wrath of God. Yet scripture declares that God, being rich in mercy and love, made a promise of redemption when man fell. That he would send a redeemer to save mankind from their sins. He promised a seed of hope even when his creation had clearly disobeyed him. Years passed, and God called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to follow him and to worship him. God continued to remind his people of a savior, a seed that would come and deliver his people from their captivity, their oppression. Much of the Old Testament is the story of the descendants of Jacob beginning to follow God and then refusing to follow God. They go into Egypt, into slavery. God delivers them while they are in slavery. Then at the same time promises to them a deliverer. The people once again fall into idolatry. The nation goes in and out of captivity. While at the same time, God is still promising that he is going to send a redeemer. That he's not forgotten his people and that he's not forgotten his promise. Then the Savior, the one who was promised, comes Born of a virgin, just as was predicted by the prophet Isaiah. He was born in the line of David, born in the city of David. He was the promised seed that God foretold that would come and crush the serpent's head. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that he is the eternal son of God, the second member of the Trinity who is incarnate in the flesh. He is fully God and he is fully man. He begins his ministry at the age of 30. He calls a particular group of unqualified, sinful men to come and to follow him. They abandon their occupations. They go and follow this man from Nazareth. He heals the sick. He gives sight to the blind. He raises the dead, preaches like no other, forgives sins, commands demons, waves and the winds, and they obey him. And yet, through all these miracles that these men had seen, they still did not completely comprehend or understand who this man was. Until one day, God the Father reveals to a sinful man by the name of Simon Peter who Jesus Christ really is. And he makes this powerful declaration in Mark 8.29. You are the Christ. Other versions say you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the promised one. You are the one that we have been waiting for. Peter confesses, you're the Savior. You're the seed. 
Jesus then tells his disciples where he's going. He says in the Bible, in Mark 8.31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. Surprisingly, that same man who made the confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, takes this man aside, pulls him aside and begins to rebuke him. Never. This shall never happen to you. I won't allow it. The Lord then rebukes Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Then he turns to his disciples and he turns to the crowd that is with him. And he says to them the most powerful thing that they could have ever heard. And also the most confusing thing that maybe they have never heard. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We've heard that phrase so many times, but don't let the frequency of the hearing of that statement numb you to its powerful meaning. This is an amazing thing to say. This is an amazing thing for this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, to say. This is the message for those who would follow him. Repent, trust in him, and take up your cross. Repent, trust in him, and carry your cross. Deny yourself. Jesus Christ calls his followers, those who would come after him, to carry with them this terrible, torturous symbol of a cross. Now, for you and I today, that may not seem like a big deal. But for those who were living in first century Palestine, it was the most shameful way that an individual could die. It was the way that Romans, their oppressors, used to scare people and to torture people. Until they died on literal trees. This would be a most controversial thing for a so-called Messiah to say. He's supposed to take the Romans out of power. And here is Jesus saying, follow me and take up the tool that the, the people in power use to oppress us. An instrument that their oppressors would use to oppress them. They wanted nothing to do with crosses or anything to do with anything that represented the Roman oppression that they were under. This is the hard teaching. Who can accept it? But why was Christ pointing his followers to the cross? Why was he pointing his followers, those who would come after him, to carry a cross, to take up a cross? Because if you really want to know Christ then you must go where he's going. And where is Christ going? At this particular time, he's going to the cross. And if you are going to follow him, then you must follow him to the uttermost. And that means following him to the cross. He is the ultimate example of denying yourself because Christ himself denied himself. He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he himself emptied himself. And now you. If you are to be a true disciple of Christ, then you must take or you must make your way to where your master is. And where is your master? He's at the cross. And he bids you come and die. This is a hard thing in our culture. 
more and more people are living alone. I heard in 1940, 5% of the population, of the United States population, lived alone. Today, the year 2016, 32% of the United States population lives alone, and they choose to. Back then in the 40s, it was because you couldn't find a man. Now, it's because you don't want a man or a woman. You want to live by yourself. We have this iPhone, iPod, iCulture, iGeneration, where it's all about us primarily. And following anybody else seems ridiculous or preposterous for any of us to do. We, as the poet Robert Frost said, when we are approached with two roads, we think that we take the road that's less traveled. We rarely say to anyone that we will follow them. We want to be trailblazers. But as the great theologian Bob Dylan said, you got to have to serve somebody. Self-denial is the last thing that we want to do as disciples of Christ. It's always the first thing that we should do, though. Self-denial is the last thing that we want to do. But self-denial is the first thing that we must do. We trust that we have sinned. We trust and understand that Christ calls us to turn from our sins. And we must understand that we cannot save ourselves. So the first thing that we must do when coming to Christ is realize it's not about us. And that we can never save ourselves. So the first thing that we must do when coming to Christ is turn from ourselves. Because turning from ourselves means we're recognizing we can't do it alone. Matter of fact, we can't do it at all. We must repent. We must turn from our sins. And listen, brothers and sisters, repentance is not a one-time thing. It's a continual act that we do day after day. We are people that are marked by God's grace and people who continually turn from our sin. This is who, tr who true disciples are. We should never be afraid to tell this truth to unbelievers or even think that they are, or people who think that they're true believers, telling them you must repent and turn from your sins. Repentance, faith, taking up our cross, these are all distinctives that mark us as true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. I spoke to a man yesterday who attends, listen, two different churches, two of the biggest churches. He attends them both online. He said that he goes to one church because it's informative and goes to another church because it's uplifting. They are the two biggest churches in Bakersfield. I'll let you take a guess at what they are. I asked him, what's the point of you going to church? Why do you go? He says, well, I'm a musician. I like to go and play music. And I'm also single, so I'm looking for a wife. I said, so the purpose that you go to church is so that you can rock out and hang out with girls. Well, no, not specifically. I said, isn't the church, the reason why you go to church is to, to worship God, to hear his word, to worship God in his word, to fellowship with the brothers, to share the gospel, to make disciples? Oh, yeah, that stuff, too. It's not what he said in so many words. I asked him, how do you know that you're saved? If someone was to ask you, brother, how do you know that you're saved? Or friend, how do you know that you're saved? His response was, after he thought for a moment, well... I had a fire in one of my homes the other day, and I know that everything is going to be okay. That's how I know I'm saved. Friends, State Farm Insurance will tell you that everything's going to be okay. Like a good neighbor, right? To follow Christ requires that we take up our cross. Jesus was pointing the way that he was going. 
And that if you were to follow Christ, you must also follow that path that leads to the cross. That's the way that he went. That is the way that we are to go. If you are a true disciple of Christ, then you must. Here's how you know. Repent of your sin. Place your faith in Christ alone for your salvation. Take up your cross and follow Christ. True disciples, here's some notes for you. True disciples have repented of sin. Trusted in Christ alone for their salvation. Recognize that they are saved by grace and not by works. Been filled with the Holy Spirit. And His Spirit is actively working in their lives, producing fruit. They are baptized and united to Christ and His church. They are actively sharing the gospel, both in words and by showing that they are products of the saving work of the gospel by the way they live. This is just to note a few They are parts, or they are parts of the local church. They have joined with the local church. They've been baptized, so on and so I could go on and on and on. These are true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is, number two, here's our number two, what is not a disciple of Christ? What is not a disciple of Christ? There are so many people who claim the name of Christ, and yet their lives, and sometimes even their words, do not clearly mark them as being disciples that the Bible describes. Amen? And let me say that we are in no way, shape, or form the you-are-not-saved police. Let's make that clear. So we're not to walk around and tell everyone, you're not saved, and you're not saved, and you're not saved. That's not our responsibility. The Bible does that for us, but when someone is clearly not evidencing the fruit of salvation... That is it, it is, it is our responsibility to at least ask them to examine themselves, to see if they're in the faith. Interestingly enough, if you were to ask the guy that I spoke to yesterday, if you're saved, he would say, yes, of course I am. Of course I'm saved. I would say, is he? I don't know. It's not my call. But what is obvious is that he goes to church for music and girls. He is not a member of a church does not think it's important to be a member of a church, has no idea what the gospel is or how he was saved, and cares nothing for evangelism. Friends, although it's not my responsibility to say whether or not he's saved, does he evidence fruit of one being regenerated by the Holy Spirit? Well, you may be afraid to shake your head and say, I don't want to judge anybody, but I'll be the first one to say it. The Bible clearly says no. Right? You can say amen. It's okay. Thank you. So what is not a disciple? Here's some for you. Number one, you can't be a Christian and not be a disciple. There are no Christians who are not disciples. A disciple is what I just explained. So if you're not that, then you're not a Christian. If there is no repentance, there is no faith, there is no taking up your cross, denying yourself, and following Christ, then how could you clearly or, or, or confidently say that you are a disciple of Christ? Amen? It's not complicated. A person who is not trusting in Christ, but trusting in themselves and their own virtues is not a follower or disciple of Christ. They may name his name, but when they see him face to face, he will say, I never knew you. <clears throat> now, this can be one who thinks that their, their works are good enough, that they are earning somehow their salvation, that they will one day be good enough when they stand before God. But this person obviously has not understood the cross or understood the grace of God. 
Let's go to another one. A disciple is not a person, listen, who loves the world and yet claims the name of Christ. You cannot serve two masters. Jesus said you will either love one and hate the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be in love with the world and be in love with Christ. You can't have a love affair with the world while being married to Christ. Amen. Here's another one. A disciple of Christ is not a person who has who, a person. A disciple of Christ is not a person who has not turned from their sins and yet names the name of Christ. There are those who feel that they really love Jesus. But they refuse to turn from their sin. If they refuse to turn from their sin, then that means they love their sin more than they love Christ. And if they love their sin more than they love Christ, then they obviously haven't been changed by Christ, right? Christ comes and changes your heart toward your sin so that you no longer love your sin. You despise your sin. If that's the case, that they still love their sin, then obviously there's been no heart change. Amen. Paul said in Romans 6, 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Friends, question for you. Does a believer have a sinful nature? No. Paul just told you why. I got my guys at the race with that on Thursday, too. We know, he said, that our old self was crucified. Your Bible may say that our old nature or our sinful nature was crucified with him in order that the body of death might be body of sin, might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You no longer have a sin nature. Your nature has been exchanged. You have been made a new creation in Christ. Amen. The old is gone. The new has come. You still live in the flesh. Your flesh is tempted to sin. But you have been given a new nature. You have been made a new creation. Next, a disciple of Christ is not one who is ashamed of Christ. A disciple of Christ is not one who is ashamed of Christ. The person who wants the benefits of being a believer but runs from persecution that will inevitably come with being a disciple of Christ is not a disciple of Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Paul tells Timothy, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So one who says, I'm a Christian, but yet is ashamed of Christ, is not a Christian. They're a fake. They're a phony. A disciple of Christ is not one who refuses to be baptized and join the local church. These are outright commands of Christ. Be baptized. Join the church. Be a part of the church. Someone who refuses these things has obviously ignored all of the one another's that we see in Scripture. Has ignored all of the book of Hebrews and says, these things just don't matter to me. The disciple of Christ is not one who refuses to take up his cross and deny himself. This is the point of being a disciple. You follow. You obey. You submit. And if you're unwilling to do those things, then you are not a disciple of Christ. Three. Why should a person become a disciple? Given how much it costs to follow Christ, why should I follow Christ? You must know, brothers and sisters, again, that you are following someone. Whether you're following Christ or not following Christ, you are a disciple of someone. Whether it's your boss Music, culture, science, whatever it may be, you are following someone. We are by nature 
followers. Here's who you either are following. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. You are either in Adam, which leads to guilt, death, and the wrath of God and eternal separation from God. Or you are in Christ, which leads to a, a plea or a, a, a calling down of not guilty by God the Father. Forgiveness, grace, glorification, and eternal life. You are either in Adam and you die, or you are in Christ and you live. Why follow Christ? Because God created you and you owe him your life. Let's just start with the obvious. Because you are God's creation and you owe God your life. Because God alone deserves your worship and your devotion. Why should I follow Christ? Because lovingly, as I said before, God made a promise that a redeemer would come. That a seed would come and that he would save and lovingly, graciously, mercifully save you from your sin. And he fulfilled that promise in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we did not deserve it. When we did not deserve such grace. When we did not deserve such mercy. God graciously and lovingly gave it. So why follow Christ? It's not primarily about what you get. It's primarily about who he is. He alone is worthy of our praise. Our honor. Our glory. He is loving, he is merciful, he is gracious. Bible says in Micah 7:18, who is like you, O God? Pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever, why? Because he delights in steadfast love. He delights in showing steadfast love. Zephaniah 3:17 the Lord your God is in, the, in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. This is the God that is calling you to himself. Amen. Having loved those who are in the world, he loved them to the end. God loved the world in this way. That he gave his one and only son that who should ever, whosoever believes in him shall have eternal life. Amen. God demonstrates his love for us in, in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Should I give you more reasons of why be a disciple of Christ? Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Paul says, how wide, how long, how deep is the love of God? Christ gave himself up for us. God lavished his love for us, on us. Because of Christ, we know love, 1 John 4, 8. We would not even know what love is without Christ showing us what love is. So why follow, why be a disciple of Christ? Because he's God. Because you owe him your life. Because he's good. Because he's loving, he's gracious, and why would we not want to follow that kind of a God? Is there anyone else more worthy of following? Who's loving you better than that? What promises are there that are more reliable than his? Why would you not follow this God? Lastly, how do we become a disciple? Where was Jesus going? To the cross. Why was he going there? Because he had a particular people. He had sheep 
He had a beloved bride that he had loved before the foundation of the world, a church that he was going to give himself up for. He paid a debt that he didn't know. He loved a sheep and laid down his life for them. God reveals his love and his mercy to his elect and his justice and wrath upon those who rejected his grace. So what do we do in light of this glorious truth, this gospel truth? How do we become a disciple? Oh, you've heard it. You know it. Repent. Turn from your sins and place your faith in Christ alone for your salvation. Trust not in yourself or your works, but trust in Christ and his perfect work. Rely on the grace of God to accomplish for you what you could not accomplish for yourself. Take up your cross. Follow Christ. Was the only appropriate response to the love and the call of Christ? Take up your cross, brothers and sisters, and follow him. Why do I follow him? Ultimately, it is because I want to be where he is. Why do I follow him? Ultimately, it's because I want to be with him. That's what Paul got so clearly. That's what apparently consumed Paul. It was his life's passion to be with Christ. He wanted to be so united with Christ. The love of Christ had so overtaken him that it was the only thing that drove him. The sharing of the gospel, that the persecution, that the beatings, that all of the sufferings that Paul experienced was so that he could somehow experience what Christ experienced so that he could be even more united with him. And he could not wait for that day when his head was lopped off. And he finally, and for all, once and for all, was with the one who loved him more than anybody could ever. The Lord Jesus Christ. And what promise does he make to you when you follow him? Oh, there's many. But one of them that stands out is that he will then make you a fisher of men. One of the promises that he makes you is that you follow him and he'll use you to call others to follow him. One who is taught to follow then teaches others to follow. Ordinary men cause trouble all over the world simply by following Christ. I don't know about you, but I like causing trouble sometimes. Somehow in my, my nature. But here's one of the most beautiful things that I've seen in Scripture concerning what someone does when Christ calls. Matthew chapter 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man found in a field. The man goes home, sells all that he has so that he could purchase the treasure that he's found in that field. And when he does, he goes away joyfully, joyfully, not regretting that he sold everything for this treasure, but joyfully rejoicing over the fact that he sold everything and that he's received something more valuable than anything that he had ever owned or anything that he could ever aspire to own. He found in this field that treasure Jesus says is himself. Do you see Christ that way? And how do we live in light of that? I'm going to read to you a scripture in Hebrews chapter 10, 32. If you would turn there and we'll close with this. But recall, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, 
you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But of those who have faith and persevere their souls. To God be the glory. This is how we live. Brothers and sisters, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul and all your strength. Take up your cross and follow him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the call that you've given us to follow you. Lord, let us be courageous in faith to know that when we follow you, our lives do not end, but they merely begin. We glorify you for giving us eternal life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.